We're in the season of Lent, and Lent is meant to be a time to examine ourselves and see what our intentions are. It's an opportunity for us to clear away some of the idols that are threatening to push in upon our lives, a chance for us to reconnect with God. And it's a chance or a time to remember Jesus as He approaches the cross. And so we're going to begin to do that this morning. And if you were here last week, uh, Ian talked about the importance of us keeping our first love and how the churches in North America are struggling to grow and to reach the next generation. And, and we notice that. We see that. And yet, and this is kind of peculiar to me, I notice that at the same time, Jesus is still largely popular. He's still being talked about. You still see him on the cover of magazines. Um, Even those who don't call themselves Christians would regard Jesus as one of the wisest teachers and one of the most loving leaders the world has ever known. And so through the world's eyes, Jesus is often characterized as this great teacher. And as we see pictures of him, he often looks meek and mild. And he's described as kind of a friend or a buddy. But I'm not sure that's an accurate portrayal of Jesus. And I want you to think about that. Um, was Jesus this soft, warm, fuzzy feeling kind of man who had some good teaching for everyone? And if so, then why did his contemporaries kill him? What was it about what he said or what he did that was so provoking, so upsetting that the religious and secular leaders alike wanted to see him dead. What was it about Jesus that would make crowds cheer him one week and then the next demand his blood? Were his contemporaries just really evil people? No. I think they were people just like you and I. And so, why did they kill him? Think about that. I think because he was more than meek and mild. He was more than just a good teacher. He was the light of heaven hitting the darkness of earth. He made claims and commands that left people undone. He talked about issues that others wanted to bury, and he broke barriers that no one else had the nerve to go after. He called for the utter dismantling of the way things were and the new creation of something so much better. And so, let's not get confused. Jesus was not politically correct. He was not socially tame. In fact, He was a dangerous man because He was and is God and He is dangerously good. Now, as troubling or unsettling as that earlier picture may have been to you, I I want to warn you that our text this morning is even more jarring in, in a different way. Because in it, Jesus draws some black and white lines in a very gray world. And he draws up sides and he asks, are you with me or are you against me? And so this morning I would just allow your heart to be challenged and open to Jesus' words. It's His message. So, Matthew chapter 12. We'll read verses 22 through 37. 
says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished, and they said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Hmm. I think we're starting to see why they killed him. And this is a Jesus maybe we don't want to face or think about. Um, And we have to know that these are not the only words that Jesus said that might offend us. I mean, what do you do with a Jesus who says, No one can serve two masters. No kingdom or city or household that's divided against itself can keep standing. What do we do with the Jesus who declares, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus is calling us, he's calling the world to get off the fence because we live in a fence-walking world. And we like partial commitments. We like safe bets. We want to be a part of the game, but we also like the safety of the stands. We like to claim the victories, but... We don't want responsibility for the losses. We want good friendships and marriages, but we often avoid facing the problems or the sin that keeps them from being great relationships. We want our kids to be spiritually vital, but we also want them to be highly involved in a lot of other activities. We we really are a people who want it all. So once a man named uh, Homer who finally worked up the courage to propose marriage to uh, the girl of his dreams. And so dropping to one knee, he looked his beloved in the eye and he said, Sue, 
I know I'm not wealthy like Tom. I recognize that I'm not handsome like Tom. I, I, I may not be as well educated as Tom. But I love you, Sue. The woman, obviously moved, responded sincerely, Why? I love you too. But tell me a little bit more about Tom. <laughs> We're a people who want it all. We do, we do this fence-walking thing with God too. We, we sing in church, Take my life and let it be. I, just, I sang that too high, didn't I? i got to bring it down. Take my life and let it be. But the next part of that song is a little bit harder to sing. Consecrated Lord to Thee. And it's not that we're not interested in God. We're just very wary of a full investment. In the words of Wilbur Reese, he said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. He said, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. Jesus says, no. He who is not with me is against me. And so there's no fence to sit on here. You're either all in or you're not. And so to answer this question that Jesus addresses, which is, are you with me or against me? The first thing we need, according to our text this morning, is to decide who Jesus is. Decide who Jesus is. After Jesus healed the demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, verse 23, the people are astonished. And they said, could this be the son of David? Meaning, is this the Messiah? Is this God? Well, the Pharisees said that he was not. He's working with Beelzebub, the, the, the prince of demons. He's on the same team as Satan. And, and you and I really have the same choice today. Um, either Jesus is the Son of God, a part of the Trinity, he's God himself, or he's from Satan. The world tries to create a middle ground. They try to create a way to ride the fence without really committing. They say, well, Jesus, he's a, he's a great teacher. But if you think that through, it's ridiculous because... Well, first of all, let me say, I know most of you here have already decided that Jesus is indeed God. I know that. But if you haven't, or maybe you have doubts about that, read the Bible. Read the Gospels. Um, Take a look at some of the things that Jesus said, and you're going to find that there's no middle ground. Favorite quote, and perhaps you've heard it before from C.S. Lewis. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But C.S. Lewis says, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, he has not left that open to us. Again, Jesus says, are you with me or are you against me? 
Decide who I am. Either the son of God or the son of the devil. You must decide who he is. Um, Are you with him or against him? In other words, if you don't make up your mind on this, you've already made up your mind. And so we see from this text that this decision of who Jesus is goes beyond just something that we think in our minds because Jesus talks about how this decision then affects our actions. So we must not only decide who Jesus is, but secondly, identify your side. Identify your side. Jesus isn't interested in partial investments and divided loyalties because those things produce very poor fruit. Gordon MacDonald explains this in a different way. He says, when the crowd got too large, Jesus would inevitably sharpen the blade of his teaching. He would make it clearer that there was a dramatic cost to discipleship. It was almost as if he was saying to the crowd um, that that what he was saying to the crowd suggested that they uh, hadn't heard him clearly. And if they had heard him him clearly, they might not be there. So um, when Jesus finished restating his message, many would leave. Because they finally understood that no one could remain in the presence of Christ and be merely a very nice person who stands in the middle. And so that's why Jesus said some of these crazy sounding things at times. Because he wanted people to connect their side with their actions. For example, to the Christians at uh, Laodicea, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were either one or the other. And that's why Jesus, as he describes life to his disciples, um, you hear it in terms of leaving your parents, getting out of safe boats, dropping nets, selling possessions, and denying self. Because in those statements, he's not saying that there's intrinsically something wrong with those things. In other words, Jesus isn't against family or safety or possessions or self. He's simply calling the question of whether we're going to define and pursue those values in the world's way or God's way. And so for us to think about this morning, who do you really love? Who do you really love? And and are we trying to straddle this fence? Let me put it in a different way that I like better. Are you right now preparing the soil of of your soul for spiritual life or growth? Are you prepared or preparing yourself to bear fruit in your life? As I said, Lent is a great season when um, followers of Christ traditionally have attempted to get enough courage to critically look at themselves and to ask, how have I been living And what are the investments that I've been making? And where do my loyalties lie? And so Christians examine themselves during Lent so that they can start to walk in a better way, closer to the Lord God. And if you're familiar with Lent, historically, Christians uh, have taken on different spiritual disciplines during Lent. Maybe they have a plan for Bible reading or prayer or meditation or fasting or gift-giving. But they do this because the spiritual disciplines lead us into a greater integrity or a greater integration between what we say we believe and what we actually feel and do. 
And so to use Jesus' metaphor, they help us to see where the house of your life has gotten divided against itself or where it's gotten shifted off of its solid rock foundations. And so through the disciplines, God will start to improve our alignment with him in our relationship. Secondly, as God uses the spiritual disciplines to further transform our character and our conduct, that leads us to greater influence in the world. That leads to fruit. And so my question for you this morning is, will you allow yourself to be set apart by God? Will you seek a life that makes you different than most of the other people in the world? Seems to be what Jesus is calling us to. The world has millions of fragmented people running around under their own power, driven by anxiety, fear, and anger. But if the church is going to truly be the kind of influential salt and light that Jesus calls it to be, then it will do so because there are disciples who have taken deliberate steps to get off the fence and to live life more deeply with God. And finally, I believe that you'll find that the ultimate fruit of the spiritual disciplines is greater joy. And I know when you you hear the word discipline, it's not usually associated with joy. But if you would ask an Olympic athlete on the medal platform what the road was to their present joy, I'm pretty sure they would say discipline. Ask Jesus, says the writer to the Hebrews, why he disciplined himself in the face of temptation or endured the pain of the cross, and he will answer, it was for the joy of living with integrity to my mission. It was for the joy of exerting an eternal influence on people. So Jesus asks, are you with me? If so, then you have to decide who he is, identify your allegiance to him or your side, and then thirdly, Bear fruit accordingly. We see in this discussion of the words that we speak and the trees that produce either good or bad fruit. And Jesus knows that all of us sin. He knows that we sin with our mouths. And he offers us forgiveness for our sin. But then we come to verse 31. It says, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So, what is this blasphemy of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit? Well, if you dig into that, Jesus is referring here to a defiant, deliberate rejection of the Spirit of God, which is right where the Pharisees are at. Okay, and that's why Jesus is saying it. It's, it's willfully deciding, I am not going to listen to the Spirit of God. And so it's a heart sin. It's not a verbal sin. It's a heart sin. And when you reject the Spirit of God in your life, there can be no forgiveness of sin because your heart is hard. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And that is not what God wants with our lives, obviously. As, as I've already said, he wants you to walk in complete integrity and joy. Jesus says in John fifteen nine, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Uh, Carrie mentioned the word duty up here, and, and in, in the right sense of the word, that's a beautiful word, but I know my mind and maybe our culture has twisted that word. And so when I hear duty, I go, oh, my duty, what do I got to do? It's not what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's for his joy and it's for your joy. Okay, so hear that. But you have to make an intentional decision to be Jesus' disciple. Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. So it's time to decide. It's time to get off the fence and to follow him with all that we are. I would, I would like to think, as I examine myself, that if I was there in Matthew 12 with the disciples, and I want you to think about this too, if you were there with the disciples, how would you react? I would like to think that it would have been a start of a change for me. I'd like to believe that I would hear the Spirit of God speaking through Jesus, that I saw how he restored integrity and joy to the demon-possessed man and others, and I would have said with all the people there, could this be the Son of God? Could this be the Messiah, the promised Savior? How do I walk with him further and deeper? I hope that's how I would respond. But it does occur to me that I might not have. That I might have been like the Pharisees, used to walking high and mighty on my familiar fence, so sure that change was something that everybody else needed. Not so much for me. So smug that I would have done the one unforgivable thing, that I would have regarded the Spirit of God that was still trying to reach me as something I didn't need. That I would have called the light darkness and and, and become so jaded in my preaching, so stuck in my religion, that I would have thought, how do we get rid of this guy? What about you? How would you have responded? How do you respond? Would you have gotten down off your fence and followed him? Or would you have thought, this guy needs to go away? How do we get him to go away? Too much. Too much. In closing, the poet Edward Sanford Martin once wrote, Within my earthly temple, there's a crowd. There's one of us that's humble. There's one that's proud. There's one that's brokenhearted for his sins. And one who unrepentant sits and grins. There's one who loves his neighbor as himself, and there's one who cares for naught but fame and pelf. From much corroding care would I be free if once I could determine which is me. So this morning, I'd like you to think about where are you? And who, with Christ's help at work through the Holy Spirit and the spiritual disciplines, might you one day completely come to be? Because Jesus says to be intentional about following him. He says if you're not with him, you're against him. 